Welcome to the Victory Life Church Podcast. We believe it's important to present an uncomplicated and uncluttered view of Christ and how we should live. We hope this podcast inspires you and helps build your faith. If you ever find yourself in the area, come check us out. For more information on services and events, visit us at vlcministries.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at VLC Plantation. I want to again welcome you online. If you're online, you remember we have the outline in our app, and you're welcome to look at it on your phone. I'm hoping and believing if you're on your phone that you're not looking at anything else, social media, you're not uh, texting anybody, but you are literally looking at the outline this morning. Well, we're getting ready to get started in the book of Romans, and it's, we're calling it Living God's Way. It's actually a book by Tommy Higgle taking us through Romans that I've kind of adopted as a guideline taking us through Romans. We won't be in there every single week. We will cut in, break in, and bring you some other good food from God's Word, but we'll get back to this, this book, the book of Romans. If you notice when you come in and the entrance of the sanctuary, do you know what's written over the, uh, the door? Live God's way. That is the theme for my life, and I brought it to the church. I taught it to my family. Basically, it is found. I don't know if you know where that's found. It's in Micah. If you have a chance, write this down. It's in Micah 4.2, talking about the millennial reign, the thousand-year reign of Jesus on this earth. That's exactly where I got it from. And it became the theme of my life and for my family, and I passed it on to God's family. Micah 4.2 reads, Many nations will come and say, Come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. Now, finishing this this vision for our church is this. This is the passion of the shepherd's heart to teach everyone everywhere you go, every day of your life, in everything that you do, live God's way. It is possible. I'm not saying in walking this out there won't be some failures or some sin, but basically you've embraced Living God's way, not the world's way. There's a lot of things we could talk about in the book of Romans. But it was written about 25 years after Jesus died, and Paul hadn't even visited there. But because of people that traveled from all over the world to Jerusalem, heard the good news, and took it back all over the world and into Rome, and evidently there were some churches that had been started by believers in Yahweh. Probably the book of Romans has influenced more people to receive Christ as their Savior than any other book in the Bible. Actually, in the 70s, when I got saved, it was called the Romans Road. How many heard the Romans Road before? I've led many people to Jesus Christ using the Romans Road. Romans 3, 23, Romans 5, 8, Romans 6, 23, Romans 10, 9, and 10, and then Romans 10, 13. Whoever calls on the Lord will be saved. And that's 
usually when I ask someone to bow their heads and to give their lives to Jesus Christ. Wow, it has influenced a lot of people over the years. For some that may not know this, in our profession, there are many religious figures that have been touched by the book of Romans. John Wesley, Augustine, and Martin Luther, who ushered in the great Protestant Reformation, found in the book of Romans this verse that changed his life. Romans 1.17. What does Romans 1.17 tell us? The just shall live by faith. He, he never thought he could do enough to earn his way to heaven, and that's what he was taught. And many religions around the world teach us, you need to work and be good, and then maybe in the very end, God will let you into the kingdom of God. And this is how he thought until he read the book of Romans, Romans 1.17, the just shall live by faith. Well, I don't know about you, but it's very important to have a book that teaches the truth. You see, Romans enables you and me to see our world through, you guessed it, God's eyes. And we learn how to live his way. You see, in our culture that continually changes, we need the unchanging, timeless truths of this epistle or this book. It is God's everlasting word that tells us what is eternally right and wrong, not Hollywood, not the government, not even the doctors, but it is God's word that survives all that we, that we uh, talk about and lie about. In 1 Peter 1.25, he reminds us, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And that word is the good news that's preached to you. You may not know this, but George Barner Research said that over 65% of believers believe in no absolute moral truth. What's strange about it is 52% of evangelical Christians believe the same thing. There is no absolute moral truth. That means 52% of the people that are in the churches all across the world. Another statistic from George Barner. 67% of the Protestants and 77% of churches believe that having some type of religious faith matters more, listen, than one's choice of faith. Did you get that? That is 67% of the Protestants believe it doesn't matter what faith as long as you have a faith do you see how watered down the word has been in the churches on television on radio and across America that means six out of ten people who are aligned with non-christian faiths 61 percent reflect that same sentiment one more statistic I'd like to bring your way Amazingly, a majority of people who describe themselves as Christians, born-again Christians, 52% of those accept a work-oriented religion. Even more shocking, however, is the huge proportions of people associated with churches who, whose official doctrine 
says eternal salvation comes from embracing Jesus Christ as our Savior and not from being or doing good. Believe that a person can qualify for heaven by being or doing good. That's why I'm a big fan of walking through books of the Bible or you reading through the Bible in a year so that you can see what is actually truth and what's being preached from the pulpits of America. If we listen today to what God called Paul to do to proclaim the truth of God to those in Rome that had never visited yet, you'll find that he's asking us to do the same thing. So I've entitled this morning's message, What God Calls Us to Do. Three things, three things he's calling us to do. There's a lot of things he's called us to do, but you can only handle so much in one message. So I'm going to give you three things. He's called us to be servants. Hmm. He's called us to be solicitors, and he's called us to be saints. We're going to glean this from the first seven verses of Romans chapter 1. So if you want to open your Bibles to Romans chapter 1. And we'll go from there. Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. And I'm going to be reading from the NIV. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. The gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scripture regarding his son, who as to his human nature was a descendant of David and through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the son of God. How? By his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord, through him and for his name's sake, we receive grace and apostleship to call people from among all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. And you also are among those who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. Notice how many times the word called is used. Paul was called to do something for the Lord Jesus Christ. And the first thing I see that he was called to do, and remember that to teach us everything that God taught them, so you can put your name in there too. You are called to be a servant of the living God. Isn't it amazing that Paul uses this word? I think about um, conferences that I've gone to, and I want you to notice the next time you go to a spiritual conference or you watch one on TV, watch how they introduce the speaker or how the speaker introduces himself. And then you'll know whether you're really in a spiritual setting. You see, the Apostle Paul had a lot of credentials. He had a lot of diplomas. He was moving up the ladder of success in the religious circles of Jerusalem. He hadn't even visited those in Rome. I don't know about you, but if I'm going someplace, I want to make sure who the speaker is and how great he is. I like to be affiliated. You like to be affiliated with people that have uh, accomplished many things. But God wants us to debunk that type of thinking. Paul introduced himself first and foremost 
as a servant of God. And actually, in some of your translations, it says doulas, slave of God. Now, I know we like to walk around and say, I am a friend of God. I am a friend of God. And, and, and that's true. And, and they walked with God, and Jesus told them that. But isn't it amazing when each apostle or each writer of the gospel introduces themselves, they don't say, I'm Dr. Ron Bramus, servant of God. That's what he called himself. You see, God wants us as believers to begin to think differently than all the other nations in our government, that they lust and they thirst after power. You see, Jesus had to even remind the apostles that his kingdom, his kingdom, the kingdom that you and me are a part of, isn't about power. He had to warn them on more than a few occasions, didn't he? On the night he was going to be betrayed, they're sitting there jockeying for position. Who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of God? Who's going to sit on the right hand or the left hand? Even a mama got involved before that and wanted her two sons to sit on the left and right hand of the throne. They're thinking worldly. God wants you and me to think spiritually. Hi, my name is Ron Bramus. I'm a servant. I'm a slave of the Most High God. That's how he wants us to think. And if we start thinking that way, we'll see God move as he did in Paul's life. A servant of God. There were over 60 million slaves in Rome at that time. And he wanted to be identified as a servant, as a slave. I remember at the Last Supper, again, when they were arguing, Jesus demonstrated, the Son of the living God demonstrated for them how he wanted them to conduct themselves when they were amongst believers. I hear too often about people at a religious conference in the back assigning the hour that they're going to speak. And guess who gets the prime time positions of the day? Those who have the most diplomas, those who have the most credentials. And just think, if I was up there with some of those great heavyweights, guess where they would assign me? Probably first, where people are still just walking in and still drinking their coffee and donuts. In the blink of an eye, I'm finished. Let's get on to some more spiritual people. Ah, God may use one of you in here before he uses one of those great heavyweights in the faith. If you're a servant of God, he will move in your life to touch other people's lives. I know one of my good friends, I'll brag on him in a minute here, Jim, got to lead someone to Christ. Jim is an anesthesiologist, and we share together. We get together every week and hope he doesn't mind me talking about him. But he shared with enthusiasm with me yesterday how this week a neighbor was walking by, and he just stood there. It wasn't Billy Graham. It wasn't some evangelist. It wasn't Pastor Ron. It was Jim alone who had the boldness to share with, with this young lady. He asked her two questions. If you died tonight, what would happen to you? And if you stood before God, what would happen if you died tonight? And Jim, right there on his block early in the morning, got to lead to someone to Christ. Praise God. That's how God moves through his servants, one person at a time. Are you a servant of God? Philippians 2 reminds us of the attitude that Christ had and exemplified when he walked the face of this earth 
He didn't demand that kind of attention that some speakers demand. Here's what he thought about in Philippians 2, 5 through 11. He said, your attitude, Paul, Ron, you, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. I mean, remember when we were kids, we always wanted, we, we think we're important, we want to be important, we want to be the first one picked on the team, we want to be first in the line, we want to be the first, the front seat, and then the first one out the door, and, and be the first one in your car so none of the traffic gets in your way. We think that away, and God's teaching the apostles, unthink that way. Remember, they, they were bringing little children to him, and, he, and, he, and, and, and they were scolding the parents that were bringing the little kids to Jesus, and he said, listen, unless you, unless you become like one of these little children, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. You see that kind of thinking? We don't see that displayed in the public arena, in athleticism, in the entertainment world, in the government world. We, we, we don't see any models before us that act like this particular passage, like God the Son did. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Philippians 2, 5. Who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. I mean, if you had a title, you, and you move me to the front of the line. Don't you know I'm important? Jesus didn't behave that way at all. And he didn't want the servants of God to behave that way. And he doesn't want the church to behave that way. And he doesn't want conferences to be that way. And he doesn't want television preachers to be that way. He wants us to be like the apostle Paul. He said, I'm a servant. I'm a slave of God. And I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So he goes on to say, but he, Jesus, made himself nothing. Boy, I wish I'd have known this when I first entered the ministry, Jacob. I wish I would have known that. The pressure was on us. you got to have a bigger church. you got to have a larger church. It's the same thing that happens in America. i got to have a bigger business. i got to have a larger house. i got to have a better car. That pressure is put on kids when they're teenagers and when they go to college to be somebody. But Jesus said he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness. Wow. How'd you like to be made a dog or an ant? I know you've dreamt that sometimes. If I was an ant or if I was an eagle, what animal would you like to be? Have you ever played that game? I'd like to be an eagle. He became flesh. Therefore, God exalted him because of the death of the cross to the highest place and gave him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You know what I like to do? And I, I did this in my room, and I think I've done, demonstrated this for you, and it's a humbling thing to do. When I get in my room, I, I go like this. I make sure my shirt's tucked down in the back. Some of you have plumber's pants, and you know, you know what I mean. And God's in the place. And, and remember, when he built the altar, when he built the altar, you guys remember what he said. Wear something underneath, because when you climb the steps, if you read in Exodus when they built it, remember he said that? Think about all these things, and you worship the Lord, and you bow down. And, and remember what Jesus said? Kiss the son's feet, lest they be angry. So I'm, 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 I'm getting in practice. Have you ever done this? And 
actually one day, I, I mean, honestly, when I'm doing that, I actually almost think I'm going to smell Jesus' feet and they're going to be there and he's going to surprise me even before I get to heaven. If that happens, I'll tell you about it, okay? <laughs> but it is, it's humbling ourselves now, having that kind of mind. You remember, by the way, I, when, when we're kids and you're sitting around the table and your parents are asking you, what do you want to be when you grow up? I remember one of my brothers wanted to be a fire truck. <laughs> People wanted to be doctors and actually president of the United States. <laughs> I don't know about that anymore. That's not top on the list. It's not, it doesn't make the top ten. <laughs> Astronauts. What if you said, son, honey, I, I want you to be a servant. I want you to strive to be a servant. You see, it does not ring your bell and it won't ring their bell unless you begin to teach them about Jesus, the son of the living God. And by the way, when Paul signed up to be someone, an apostle, by the way, remember the cross was not a beautiful thing like we wear around our necks. That was an ugly, horrible sight. And the apostles, let me tell you something, we look back at, at those are prestigious positions, but everyone died a martyr's death except one, John. So when Paul signed up, he was a man with credentials. He had diplomas. He was moving up the ladder of success when the Holy Spirit, God, knocked him off that animal and he fell on the ground and was blinded for three days. And a prophet said, listen, you're going to be God's messenger but here's how much you're going to suffer for my name's sake. So being a servant also means, yes, you guessed it, we're going to suffer because we know God. Then why do we moan and complain? It happened to Jesus and it happened to the apostles. By the way, if you continue looking at that verse, he says, Paul, a servant, which we could camp out a long time on that word of the Messiah, Yeshua. By the way, I like to call him by his name in Hebrew. Do you like to do that? Yeshua. 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 No, Yeshua. <laughs> Yeshua, Yeshua. You are the Messiah. He said, you're called to be one sent forth with a message. But we use a title called apostle. Men get hung up on titles. Men and women get hung up on titles. I used to get hung up on titles. My, when we grow older, we wish we knew then what we know now. God called Paul to be sent forth. Yes, an apostle. He was one of the, the 13 apostles. There was 12 that actually were commissioned with power from on high from God, and they saw the risen Savior. That was sort of what had to happen in order to be a, one of the apostles. Remember, one betrayed Jesus, and then was select, one was selected by the apostles. But Jesus selected John, excuse me, Paul, to be an apostle. But in the real sense of the word, Paul called, God, excuse me, God called Paul to be a servant, and he called him to be an apostle, or he called him to be sent forth with a message. 2 Corinthians 5 reminds us, all of us are called. Remember, four times that word is used. He's called. We are all called to be servants with a message. In 2 Corinthians 5.18, he said, 
All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us. Yes, you're called. Yes, you're called. Like Jim was called, and he, he shared his faith with that person, and, and they were saved. Yes, you're called. He gave you and me the ministry of reconciliation. It's a fancy word that means helping people get right with God. God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. Remember, our message needs to be centered around Jesus, not around us, not counting, this is the good news, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message. There it is, a call. He's committed to you and me the message of reconciliation, helping people get right with God. We spend so much time in the church doing a thousand other things, majoring on the minors, when we need to major on the main thing, introducing people to the Messiah who will deliver them from their sin and from judgment and from hell. That's what we need to be busy doing. That's what I need to be busy doing. That's what you need to be busy doing with your profession. If you want rewards when you get to heaven, Oh, by golly, please take this message seriously. Therefore, we're all ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us to the person you're talking to. Paul said, we implore you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. Scripture teaches God made him, Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us, so he tasted sin. He knew what it smelt like. He knew what it felt like. He knew what it felt like, even in a sense, to be alienated from God, even though he's God. Don't try to ask me to explain that to you right now. But remember what he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I believe the sin of the world was heaped on him in such a way that he, he just couldn't experience and feel and sense the glory and the love of God that he's always known from eternity past. So Paul, a servant of Christ, a slave of Christ, with a message from God, you and me are servants of God, with a message from God, and here's another key thing, set apart. You don't want to miss that. Paul, a servant of Christ, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. You see, when you get saved, one of the first things I want to see is a difference from the way you used to live. God literally separates you like the sheep from the goats. Aren't you glad he's going to separate the wheat from the tares, the bad fish from the good fish? He separates you to be used for his honor and glory. 2 Corinthians 6.14 reminds us of this. Paul was called a servant to bring forth a message, and he was set apart just like you and me are set apart. Here's what God said to you, believers. Do not be yoked. We know what a yoke is, right? Together. Oh, some young people need to hear this. Maybe even some older people need to hear this. With unbelievers. Oh, oh but, but, but pastor, I got to win some people to Christ. That, well, that's a different story. But you aren't going to hang out with the bad fish. Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. It'll change your life. For what do righteous and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? And by the way, that means in dating too. And it could mean being in business with an unbeliever. He, he reminds us of this reality when he said, what fellowship 
can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? What does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? See how he's trying to appeal to your common sense? He goes on to say, what agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? See, he's making his case. He's building his case. For we are, we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live with them and I will walk among them and I will be their God and they will be my people. So he's separating us just like he separated Israel from all the other nations of the world. He's separating you from the people in the world. You're marked. Every one of you are marked with a seal. Therefore, he, in conclusion of all this, he said, therefore, come out from them and separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing and I will receive you. I will be a father to you and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. So, the first thing God's called you to be is a servant with a message and you're set apart. You're set apart for a reason and that is to be solicitors for the kingdom of God. Let's look at verse 2. Actually, again, the call begins in verse 1, the first call. Called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scripture. If you don't think this soul winning is real important and you think up here it's important to sing, I understand that it's important to have a children's ministry. It's a nice if a lot of pastors would love to have a building. and I understand that. But, but here's what's really important. When I was studying Daniel this week trying to see if God... Is, is unraveling that which he told Daniel to seal up. Anybody know what I'm talking about right there? Remember, he told him to seal up the prophecies until the end. And so I'm going to the book of Daniel asking God, do you want to reveal to us believers today what you're about to do in the last days? While I was reading that, I had a vision. No, I didn't. I didn't have a vision. <laughs> I fell asleep. No. <laughs> Daniel chapter 12 reminds us how God thinks. And did you know in the Old Testament, it's there, resurrection from the dead. A lot of us feel that we can't go to the Old Testament and find hardly anything, but it's there. Daniel 12, 2 through 3. Here's what it says as he was unraveling the vision. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake. That's the Old Testament. That's 2,500 years ago. God said we will rise from the dead. Some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting content. Here's some key verse, though, the key verses. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. You see who God really, really appreciates the people that lead other people to faith in Jesus Christ. When you share the gospel, you need to make sure you include the good news. The gospel, tell them, means good news. That's the gospel truth. It's the good news, but it is not brand new news. Notice in verse 2, the gospel he promised beforehand 
through the prophets. So when you begin to tell people about God, you need to make a beeline to the good news of the gospel, not necessarily how he can fix their problems and, and how God can meet all your needs. Make a beeline. That's what we did last year. With all the things going on, COVID going on, civil unrest, I did not feel that God wanted me to use the podium to talk about what you can turn on every day and hear. He wanted me to give you Jesus, 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 because he's the one that will encourage you. He's the one that will take away anxiety. He's, he's the one that will fulfill his promises. That's what we need to focus on when we're sharing Christ. We need to make sure we focus on the gospel. By the way, the prophets all talk about the Messiah. So it was really old news, this good news. Paul is saying, listen, it wasn't just today's paper. It was yesterday's news. The prophets talked about it. Psalms told us he was God's son. Isaiah 7, 14 told us it would be a miraculous birth. Micah told us where he would be born, Bethlehem. Daniel told us he would be called the son of man. And Isaiah told us how he would live and how he would be crucified and how he would die and how he would have an offspring. So the prophets, I want you to know, listener, when you're sharing Christ, they already knew about this 2,500 years ago, 3,000 years ago. It was told that the Messiah was going to come. And it's also in the Holy Scripture. These prophets found this in the Holy Scripture. You need to remind people why they need to read the Bible that they don't trust anymore. Do you know how many prophecies that Jesus fulfilled in his lifetime? Over 300 prophecies. We won't get into the exact number, but at least over 300 prophecies he fulfilled in his lifetime. And you want to dazzle someone's brain. I know I've used this and used it over and over again. But you've got to remind people that this is not something you just goes in one ear and out the other. If you recover Texas and three feet of silver coins. And you got someone and you, and you, you, and you dropped a gold coin from a helicopter. And you told that guy to go find that gold coin after you blindfolded him. That would be the chance of eight things coming true about anybody's life. Eight things. How many did I say Jesus fulfilled? 300 prophecies. So you and me need to make a beeline to the Holy Scriptures to impress people and remind them about the good news of the Messiah. And what you need to understand is he was all human, and that's why he said he came from the line of David. Royalty is in his blood and in his mom and earthly mom and dad's blood. And it goes all the way back to King David, who was promised an heir that would sit on the throne. It goes all the way back to Abraham and goes all the way back to Adam. You need to tell him that. You need to go back to Genesis. People don't understand why they need to be saved. And you need to be able to do that. And then you need to remind them that he was all God too. Notice in verse 4. And through the spirit of holiness, he was declared with power, how? To be the son of God by his resurrection. You need to talk about the resurrection. <laughs> I was reading a couple days ago about Houdini. How many remember Houdini was? He died in, I believe, 29 or 26. And he said he was going to come back one day. He was going to find a way to communicate they even set up a television show, I think, 50 years after he died. And, and it's been 90 years since he died, and they're still having seances to see if they can hear a word from Houdini. I think he Houdini'd them. 
or hoodwink them. That's maybe where we get the word hoodwink from. Okay, so once again, we're solicitors. We're servants of the good news that needs to be preached. And one final thing in this particular passage is that it needs to be told to all the nations of the world. Paul, I am commissioning you to be a servant with a message about the humanness and deity of my son. I want you to go into all the world. See that word Gentiles? In some of your translations, most translations it says Gentiles. That means nations. I want you to go to all the nations of the world. He wants us to go to all the nations of the world. Perhaps he's going to call some of you right here in this church to give your lives full time to the gospel. But he's called everyone to be ambassadors for God. And, and then we, by giving, can help support missionaries also that will go all over the world. We want to be a part of that. Matthew reminds us of this passage. If you don't know this by now and you're a new believer, you need to underline this and highlight this because this is what the church is about. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Yes, I like youth groups. Yes, I like children's ministries. Yes, I love worship. Yes, I love spiritual seminars. But here's what the church needs to be busy doing. And it is our pleasure. Listen, when I found Jesus, anybody that listened, in fact, if they didn't listen, I made them listen. Jesus died for your sins. I mean, literally, I was out of control for Jesus. What happened? I mean, you guys know the story. I've put people up against the wall. You need Jesus right now. I thought I was supposed to make people come to Jesus Christ, and I would be doing them a favor. I would talk to people for two and a half hours, three hours, till they cried, Uncle, I'll ask Jesus in my life just to get you out of my hair. I didn't know how I was supposed to go about doing it. But listen, that came from God. He works in you and causes you to will and do according to his good pleasure. He'll cause you to go, say something, say something. You almost have to go, mm, mm, mm. because he's going to cause you to say it. Here's what he taught us in Matthew 28. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority, this is his last words, all authority, on heaven, in heaven, on earth, has been given to me. Therefore, believer, called of God, go and make some mortar and some buildings and some youth halls and some children's centers. And No, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And teaching them, here's the key, obey everything I've commanded you. So see, I'm not taking out of context what God told Paul to do. Paul was to teach us to do. Teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Last thing I'm going to say is we're servants. We're to be solicitors for the kingdom of God. God's called all of us, called all of us to be servants. I wish I would have known that when I first entered the ministry. I did not know I was to be king's servant. I really didn't. I do understand that role more than ever, that I serve God and I serve you as a pastor of this church or one of the pastors of the church. But here's one thing else God's called us to be, do as we end, to believe that we are saints. Brothers and sisters, I'm tired of hearing people say, I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. Tell me something I don't know. We know we're all sinners and we were unworthy and God saved us, but he now calls you saints. Notice in verse 7, he said, to all in Rome who are loved by God and called, there's that word again, called to be saints. God uses that word some 17 times in the New Testament. And every instance, it, 
is a reference to all believers. Never is the word used of a special group of believers who serve God better than others. Scripture is clear that all Christians are saints. Let me help you just a little bit. I will press in on one major religion of their view about saints. The biblical view is much different than the traditional Roman Catholic view of saints. In Catholic theology, saints are a special class of believers who have been canonized. Canonization is the process by which the Catholic Church confers sainthood upon a person based on that person's special deeds. It is an honor bestowed on them after you guessed it, death. In contrast, the Bible views every Christian as a saint, as someone set apart for God's work. In Ephesians 4.11, we're reminded as shepherds, it teaches that the spiritual gifts are given to us to equip the saints. How am I going to equip dead people? To equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ. It's not the pastor's job to win the world to Christ. It's the saints' jobs to be servants, to be solicitors for the gospel, and to be saints. One last thing I'll share about saints. We're called to be saints. In some of your translations, if you look at it right now, Romans 7, it won't say saints. In God's word, it doesn't say that. I mean, God's word translation. In the New Living Translation, it reads, God has called you to be holy ones. Hmm. If you get the idea that you're a servant and you're solicitors for the kingdom of God, he's called you to be holy. Christians are called saints because they're called to live separate, apart. In some of your translations, it says set apart. The servants, solicitors of God, are to be set apart. We're to be holy. I want to emphasize that word, 1 Corinthians 1, 2. To the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be holy. Together with all those everywhere who are called on the name of the Lord, Christ, Lord, and ours. 1 Peter 1, it's the last passage I'll quote. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Listen, as a pastor, I, I get to hear a lot from the body of Christ. The body of Christ not only here, but all over the world. I do see, I do see the sin. I do hear about the sin. And I've experienced it myself. But we believers need to understand that you can be saints and you do not have to sin. Did you know that, believer? That you do not have to sin. Yes, when you do sin, God provides forgiveness for your sin. But do not call yourself a sinner. If you are a born-again believer, you're looking in this, this morning, and you've accepted Christ as your Savior. You believe that he died on the cross for you and that he's coming back again. 
Jesus taught us. When you believe, you've gone from death unto life already. So you are now a saint. Your citizenship is in the kingdom of God. Don't call yourself a sinner. I know it sounds like a word game, but it isn't. You are a servant of the Most High God. You are a messenger, a solicitor for the kingdom of God, and you are a saint. Are you walking in holiness? Hmm. Wow. I see God still chiseling away on me. I like it. It hurts. How many know it hurts when God chisels on you? It hurts. Honestly, it hurts. But I'm able to walk around and say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Because I know it's making me more like him. Is he making you more like him? If he is, then you don't mind having a humble role in life and in the body of Christ. Would you stand with me at this time? If you're looking in online again, enough has been shared that if you've never received Jesus Christ as your Savior or you're here this morning, God poured out his wrath on his son. He took your punishment on that tree. God said, if you'll place your faith in him alone, I will forgive you of your sin and I will give you eternal life. That's the gift God gives us, eternal life. If you've made the decision, you're looking in online, please go to the comment section. There's a tag there. Tell us what God did in your life. We'll be sure to get back with you and get some information to you. And if you're here this morning, you've never accepted Christ, we're going to have a time of prayer while they're playing. Some of our saints will come forward and they'll be praying. Just tap one of us on the shoulder and say, I'd like to become a Christian or I just gave my life to Christ or I need to get baptized. If God's leading you to make that decision this morning, would you come as we pray and we sing and worship God at this time? Thanks so much for listening to this podcast. If this has blessed you, would you consider giving a financial gift to help bring this message to more people? You can do that at vlcministries.com slash give. You can also subscribe, rate, and share this podcast with your friends and family. Here's what we believe. Living God's way. Everywhere, every way, every day. We love you and God bless.